On today's Locked On Royals, Locked On Prospects crossover, we're going to dive into the Kansas City Royals, how they've built this team, and where do they go from here? They've made some swings and misses. They've also connected on a few. What's the move now for Kansas City long term? Joining us now is Lindsey Crosby, host of Locked On. It will be prospects on the Locked On Royals and Prospects podcast crossover. Lindsey, thank you for joining us. We're on Locked On Royals. We're on Locked On Prospects as well. You've got a lot of fun stuff. You're the prospects encyclopedia, as we always say on the on the live reads to go encourage people to watch your show. It's thank true. You. That's not just a little throwaway line, Lindsey. Now, how are you doing, first of all? And then, secondarily, how excited are you to talk about the Royals farm system? And they're in your hierarchy, your big board, whiteboard behind you, which is imaginative. Where would they rank on farm systems that you enjoy talking about? So I enjoy talking about the, the, the Royals more than you would think because there's been a lot of like really good hitting development. Like you've got great stuff with hitting prospects. And last year on my show, over the course of the calendar year, we had five different prospects of the pod. Like this is the official prospect of the pod that we are trying to get called up and in the bigs. And two of those five have been Royals because Bobby Witt Jr. was the very first one. Vinny Pascantino was in there as well. And so like it's, it's, I'm, I'm, all, I'm constantly amazed with what the hitters in Kansas city do. And then I'm constantly amazed by what the pitchers in Kansas city maybe sometimes don't do. Uh, but it's fun to talk about because it's it's interesting. And that's that's pretty much the most you can ask for. So, Lindsay, I want to start this podcast by asking you, as somebody who is not emotionally invested in Kansas City, somebody who does not have to look at this through any sort of optimistic or pessimistic lenses, just straight down the middle of what you believe about these prospects. Kansas City's rebuild has been happening for quite some time now. It's getting to the point where you need to start seeing them win, but they also don't have the talent to win. So then do you start over? Where do you go from here? In your mind, you've seen this team go from Dayton Moore, now to JJ Pacolia, go from Mike Matheny, you know, Ned Yost, Mike Matheny, and now to Maddie Q. With this team, they started out by investing in college pitchers, drafting a whole draft class of college pitchers. None of them panned out besides Brady Singer so far. So do you give up on those guys? Do you give them another year to try to prove themselves? Like just your overall opinion on this Royals farm system, which has had some nice pieces. I think Bobby Wood Jr. is a nice piece. MJ Melendez, we're going to get to your Vinny Pascantino hot take coming up that people are going to love in Kansas City. Uh, Nick Prado, uh, I think that Mike Massey is going to be pretty good. Like they have a lot of pretty good and you know and encouraging bats, but they spent years – investing in pitching, which I think was the right idea from Daniel Lynch to Asa Lacey to uh, the kid from Connecticut a couple of years ago. Like I think that there's, that's the right idea in a small market. Cause you just can't go acquire pitching, but they haven't worked. So like, what is your feeling on this specific farm system, which people I think nationally will think, Oh, well they've, they've sucked for five years. So it has to be good, but might not be the case. So with the pitching, it's not like though though that 2018 draft. I want to go back to that for a second because you know you take five college pitchers and the idea behind being so aggressive on college pitching is the floor is going to be high, right? They're going to get to the bigs quicker. They need less development. They're more of finished products. And I think that maybe it was a little bit of losing sight of the uh, trees for the forest. Because, yes, you went out and got a bunch of college pitchers. But 
Florida, University of Florida, for instance, is known for not necessarily getting everything out of their pitchers. You need to develop those guys more than some other. Like, look at the fact that the Guardians love taking Florida pitchers because what do the Guardians do? They go, they they give you a couple of miles an hour of velo and turn around and make you into a, you know, number two, number three pitcher. And so it was the right idea. I understand going out and getting all those guys. It just didn't necessarily work out because of the pitching development that was around. And Dayton Moore is the first one to tell you, you need 10 pitching prospects to get one big league pitcher. He come, he came from, from, from the Atlanta Braves. And that's that, that was their thing. And I think that it was, you made a swing on pitching in that draft, but you didn't make enough of a swing and you needed a really high hit rate to make it work out. You got four of those five guys to the bigs already, which is half of the battle. But like you mentioned, everybody outside Brady Singer has an ERA over five. So they're not necessarily that good. I think there's still some work you can do with those guys. I, I still think there's some hope here. Uh, hiring Paul Menhart from the Nats, I think he helps. He's a pitching advisor now for this system. He had a big hand in getting those Nationals pitchers, Strasburg, for instance, getting them where they needed to be to win the World Series. And I think that there's some work you can do. If Jackson Kowar is going to pan out, this is going to be the year you see the control get better. You see the fastball shape get a little bit better so that that pitch works up in the zone and, and kind of works along with where the modern game is because that's kind of been the rub for the Royals is some of the pitching development was a little one-size-fits-all and a little too rigid and didn't necessarily meet all the guys where they are. I think you can still salvage out of that 2018 draft. And then I do like some of the prep pitching you got in 2021, although obviously you're a ways away from those guys making an impact. So you're not giving up, but it's too soon to turn around and say, yes, they're definitely going to all work out or they're not going to work out. You are closer to them not working out than working out, but you still have time to fix it. And I think that's the big thing is you have to have a sense of urgency this season with we have to get Daniel Lynch on track. We have to get Chris Bubik on track. We have to get Jonathan Heasley on track. We have to get Austin Lacey on track. We have to get Kowar on track. That has to be the priority this year over winning at the big league level. And the good thing is you have the luxury of letting them figure it out on the job because you're probably, and I think you're, I think it's fair to say this, I think you'll agree with me, you're probably not going to contend for the division this year. And so there's something that you, you have extra runway when you're a non-contending team that you can give at-bats or you can give innings to prospects and see what comes out of that. Whereas a team that is a perennial contender, I'll use the Braves, I've already talked about them. If the Braves call a pitcher up, and he makes two spot starts and looks good, and then he gets blown up in the third one, he's back to AAA because they don't have the runway to let him learn at the big league level. The Royals have that. You just need the coaching. You need Quintara's coaching staff to be able to make the adjustments as he learns what these guys are and are not good at and improve them. And I think that's the big question we all have is, are we going to see these guys get better? in 2023 and I don't have the answer to that yet Lindsay I want to say before I ask this question that you are yes. I for my money the most prepared host on the OB <laughs> side of things like you seriously do your homework you study the game you spend hours before hitting the record button and and that's a hard thing to do 
when you record a podcast every day, whenever you record a podcast six times a week, like you're doing right now in this time period. So I, I want to say this on the front end that you are the most prepared guy. So what you're going to say here means a lot to me and should mean a whole lot to the audience as well. I think that with these pitchers, you mentioned how it's not over yet. They're closer to being failures than they are successes, but it's not over yet. I think that the first positive sign for this season is you've cleaned house. If we, if we spent all last year in Kansas City complaining, the manager sucks, the pitching coach sucks, Dayton Moore sucks, and then they change all those things, we have to give these guys a fair shot. I think that they also have now changed with who they've hired in their mindset. They're going to let these kids play. They're going to let these pitchers go out there and get a ton of mileage on them and just either make it or break it this season, which I don't know if they're fully committed to before now. And the third thing, which is the question I'm asking you right now. So for your money, for somebody who studies this, for somebody who cares to look into the details of why someone works or doesn't work, how many times does it really happen where you change a pitching coach and then all of a sudden those fresh set of eyes get put on you in spring training with this whole new philosophy and whole new idea and it turns your career around? Is that a throwaway line or does that really happen where a fresh pitching coach comes in and teaches you one little thing and your career takes off? I don't think in this case it's necessarily the individual coach and something that he might change as much as it is the mindset. We all know how baseball has gotten so data and analytical heavy. You have TrackMan, you have the high-speed cameras, the so like all of that stuff. And anecdotally, the Royals organization has always been a little more resistant to that stuff than the norm. And so the deciding factor is not necessarily a pitching coach seeing something in a you know a, a, an early March outing against a split squad of the Pirates, uh, it is the organization led by that pitching coach being more open to trying to dig into the why. Why does Jackson Kowar's fastball shape not work against hitters? Because the velo is good; it's there. And I don't know enough about the specific pitching coach and everybody to say they're definitely going to embrace this more, but I've got anecdotal stuff and I know about the manager and the anecdotal stuff that I've heard from Royals prospects, from scouts who have looked at it from outside the organization is that they've took it, taken off a lot of the restrictions they had on the minor leaguers. It used to be, uh, you couldn't watch film without a coach present. That was a rule the Royals had. Uh, there was something where in in specific counts in the minors, Royals pitchers were mandated you had to throw a fastball. Like on a 2-2 count, you had to throw a fastball. And it was something that like when they were pressed on it, Royals coaches and pit player development staff would talk about, well, there was too many incidences of uh, a breaking ball not landing for a strike on a crucial count and walking a guy. But you could see in the numbers, Royals minor league pitchers threw fastballs at a higher rate than everybody else did in baseball, even at a time when the fastball is declining in usage across baseball. And it was something because there was all of these rigid kind of one size fits all ways of doing things behind the old pitch and development regime. Like you said, we've changed a lot of that. Now we've changed the general manager. We've changed the player development folks. We've changed all of that. And so the question is, are the new people open to taking all of the data Letting the players who are this generation of players is so much more in touch with all of that stuff, so much more in tune biomechanically, so much more in tune data wise and sabermetrically. Is the new organization in touch 
and willing to let these players do the individual things that that individual player needs to do to be successful. If they are, if the answer to that is yes, then the answer to your question is yes. There's going to be guys who are going to take off when the season starts because they've been able to learn what wasn't working for them and fix it. And we're not, the problem is we're not really going to know that unless one, they come out and tell us that and, or go ahead and do it when the season starts. I feel confident that you wouldn't make the same mistake with a new general manager. I like to think that you hired somebody new who's known for being more open to data, more open to analytics. You're going to let your guys do that. And so if if you do let your guys do that, you're going to see some of these pitchers be successful. But it's it's not going to be an individual coaching thing. It's just going to be the the be the, the attitude of the organization as a whole as set by upper management, both coaching and in the front office. Coming up, I want to put Lindsay on the hot seat. What would he do if he was named the general manager of the Kansas City Royals tomorrow? Plus, what are his rankings of the pitchers he still has faith in in Kansas City outside of Brady Singer? And we got to show Vinny P some love and the rest of these Royals hitters. But first, I want to talk right now about our good friends over at FanDuel. This year is the, the only app, app that you need at your Super Bowl party is FanDuel, America's number one sports book. We're really excited about our new sports betting partner, for locked on because they're the number one sports book in America, FanDuel. And for you, if you're new to FanDuel, that's even better because you get great features to make bettings on sports fun and easy. You can download FanDuel right now for a Super Bowl 57 and a new a no sweat first bet. You can get $3,000 back in bonus bets in your first bet if you don't win. So go right now to FanDuel.com slash locked on. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on to get a no sweat first bet. For the Super Bowl in Kansas City, the Chiefs are one and a half point underdogs. And we know what Mahomes is like as an underdog. So you can go bet on that at fanduelcom slash locked on. And Lindsay, you have some lines for us for Kansas city baseball already. Yes, I do. There's three players that I think it's rather interesting to see some of the, uh, the odds here for Vinny Pascantino and Bobby Witt. Both are plus 10,000 to be American league MVP. And then the one that's even more interesting to me, AL Cy Young plus 8,000 for Brady Singer. Really interesting bet there. It is interesting. And to spoil our conversation coming up about pitchers, I think Brady Singer can win a Cy Young. Not this year, but I think he can do it in general. So make sure to go to fanhood.com slash lockdown. We're back on the Lockdown Royals Prospects Crossover Podcast. I'm Roland Styles. Alongside me is Lindsey Crosby. And Lindsey, to tie the loop and, and, and put a bow on our pitching conversation before we move into a more fun topic of these hitters, if you had to make a list right now, and Brady Singer, of course, is at the top of it because it seems like since June he's, he's panned out and he's going to be all right. He's going to be a really good pitcher. What is your confidence level or belief level of every other pitcher in this organization from two to let's go five or at least or, you know five or ten, however much you're prepared for to do? And whenever I say belief, like belief that they could make an MLB impact, like be a one, two, three starter or be a really nice bullpen arm. Okay, so... You say bullpen arm. I want to jump into Scott Barlow. <laughs> it's like we're starting <laughs> pitching is more important. Your closer is a luxury, uh, you know, for for a team that's not necessarily contending for the for the division. So Brady Singer, obviously number one. Uh, until proven otherwise, you have to feel decent about Zach, about Zach Grinky just because of the fact he's a wily veteran. Uh, so kind of kind of trying to stay away from that because it's kind of hard to project out and prove performance there. Um, I have a I. I have a thing about 
Jordan Lyles and Ryan Yarbrough. Like I, I think that they were good pickups from the perspective of I'm a fan of getting veterans, and I'm a especially like when it comes to your pitching staff. I think there was no reason why you should have had. Like, I don't know if you realize this. Quick pedantic point I want to complain about on opening day last year, you had five position players at or over the age of thirty, and. If you're a if you're a non-contending team, there is almost no reason to do that. It cannot happen again. You've already traded Michael Taylor. You've already traded Alberto Mondesi. Hunter Dozier should probably be on his way out the door. If not, if not uh, now, then at the deadline. But I do like adding veteran pitchers. So I like having Yarbrough and Lyles to kind of mentor some of these young guys. Um, Brad Keller, I think Brad Keller. He's on his final year before free agency. We know how guys do those bumps. He's not going to blow you away with the strikeouts. He's just not. But do I think he can put up an ERA or, you know, in the high threes? I think he can if you call the right game and kind of have a solid defense behind him. Um, I want to, like, I love some of the prep pitchers that you got. We're not there yet on these guys. Uh, Jonathan Heasley is somebody who you could see make an impact. Um, I think positively, I think he's going to be closer to, to being even on strikeouts. I do like Daniel Lynch's stuff from the left-hand side. Uh, Chris Bubik's going to walk too many guys for me, but I feel like Lynch can really do a decent job of getting guys out he just needs to go deeper into games. He needs to be able to get to that third time in the lineup. Uh, I, I guess if I'm giving a list, Singer's number one, uh, obviously, right? Um, yep. Two is probably going to be Yarbrough, honestly. Grinky and Lyles, three and four. And then I want to say Brad Keller, five, but I think I'm going to give you Daniel Lynch, five. And I'm a little terrified about that. But I think that's going to be what I go with. I've got to say, Lindsay, that really puts into perspective how depressing that draft class was whenever we're sitting here five, six years removed. And it's just like, yeah, I mean, I, Daniel, Lynch I like is the five, veterans. And you also yeah. have Brad Keller. I mean, it's like, I like the veterans you signed over these guys. And that's the hard part about this, right? Is the cost in free agency for a, like for a veteran on a prove it deal is somewhere around 10 to 12 to $13 million. And so if two of these pitchers had panned out, you could be looking at spending that money to upgrade some other position. And instead you're having to go out and pay for pitching. And that's why that 2018 draft was so important and it not working out. That's how it's hampered the team years down the road. When you look at the, at the payroll and you say, okay, well, you know, they, they only have X amount to spend and 30% of that is tied up in pitching. That's where the impact of your draft comes back to hurt you. It's you didn't have, you took a swing on pitching, but you didn't take a big enough swing and then didn't have enough guys pan out. And yep. that's a tough combination to put together and, and move on from. Now that we're all set, let's talk about the hitters. So <laughs> This can save the day. It's it can really okay. turn things around for us. Okay, let's let's just go right at that tat with the, the hitter players individually. Then kind of an overview of what you think about the hitting system. Bobby Witt Jr. 
He did not have the Julio Rodriguez year. He did not have the Jeremy Pena year. He did not have the Adley Rushman year. Uh, still was a fine rookie. Like still was still was fun to watch. Twenty thirty like, year. That was fun. My fantasy team liked the twenty thirty thing he did. That was nice. Yeah, like that that was awesome. But like, where are you at right now with Bobby Witt Jr.? We went from like salivating over him a year ago at this time. But where are you at right now, Bobby Witt Jr., and like kind of the, the future of him as a player and also his impact on this organization? I think he's going to be a leader. I expect the the on base to get over 300 this year. The 259, 294, 428, that was the tough part. A lot of it was strikeouts. A lot of that strikeout stuff seemed to be, I'm not going to say chase, but seemed, well, correction, I'm going to say chase instead of saying being fooled. But it almost kind of looked like he wasn't expecting MLB pitches to be able to break as much as they could. There's a difference in hitting off a guy in double A AA or triple A and hitting off a big league pitcher. And so you see the strikeouts tick up, the on uh, the on base comes down because he wasn't he walked I think 30 times all year. Uh, I expect the on base to get above 300. I have a question and I didn't going into last year. I have a question about his defense at shortstop. Part of me wonders was he trying to keep up last year with this is my first year in the bigs this is my first full season the physical demands of playing every day you know seven games in a week uh and then moving back and forth between third and short early did that do something to him mentally or not so i want to see his defense get better this year because if not you're going to have to look at do we need to move him to third base which right now is hunter dozier again i think hunter dozier is going to be gone at the deadline He's your only guy outside of Salvi in your starting nine who is over the age of 30. So like Bobby Witt, think he's going to 260, 310, 460 is kind of what I'm ballparking. Probably probably a 25-25 year. I don't know if he'll still 30 bags again or not. Uh, the pickoff restrictions may let him. Just not quite sure. But that's kind of where I am with Bobby Witt. Longer answer than you wanted, but I like Bobby Witt Jr. He was the first prospect of the pod. So he has a special place in your heart, a special place in our heart. Now, last thing on Bobby Witt Jr., because we just can't get away from Bobby Witt Jr. You know, at all, because we just love him. If he pans out to this megastar, right, Kansas City doesn't have a shot to re-sign him. Like they, they're not going to spend the money to, that it takes to re-sign him. This kind of goes around also with your kind of broader scale of this Rose organization and their farm system. Do the Royals have enough to compete whenever Bobby Witt Jr. is on this team. Because if you if you really lump it down, you just wasted, in terms of winning, wasted a year of Bobby Witt Jr.'s MLB career last year. Mm-hmm. You're not going to make the playoffs this year. That's another year gone. If you if you cannot re-sign him, and you know that because he just broke out, then the the final year of his of his you know six-year stint in KC, you have to trade him because this is a front, now this is now a forward-thinking organization that I think will be ran a lot more like the Rays than any other team to where you're going to trade him that last year now your window is very, 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 very small to like try to win baseball games with Bobby Witt Jr., who was like the Three savior years. of this franchise. So like, yeah. what do you do with that with that opinion? It's I think it's valid. I think your two options are, one, try to go out and get more pitching. I don't necessarily think counting on the 2021 prep draftees, you'll have the time to get them in the lineup before Bobby Witt would be gone. So I think if Bobby Witt does pan out and you're in that situation where we have to have a contender or you have to build a contender around Bobby Witt, you're going to be trading prospects for pitchers, for MLB pitchers, or going out and signing guys in free agency. I do think the other option is to do 
you mentioned Tampa Bay, to do the Tampa Bay thing like they did with Wander Franco or do like Atlanta has become notorious for doing and extend him early. Offer him a team-friendly deal now with the security. You're, you know, you're going to pay a higher salary during his cost-controlled and arbitration years to then buy out a few years of free agency. If you structure that the right way, and I know it's very early to say extend Bobby Witt Jr., but he's 22 years old. If you do it the right way, you can have him for a longer window than three years and give him a chance to go to free agency before the age of 30. And I think the most recent uh, free agency we just saw with the four outfielders all getting, I was at the four shortstops, all getting super long deals uh, at a, or around the age of 30 tells you he'll be able to get paid again. So I think you do have two options here. But if he does pan out to be a superstar, you're going to have to make trades, make savvy trades, and go out on the free agent market and get pitching to build a contender. I think the, the position players could be good enough. You just have to get the pitching, and you can't count on those 2021 prepsters. They won't be ready in time. Lindsay, I'm going to just step aside for you to give this take, and I'm, I'm going to give you a fair warning. If you don't clip this out and put it on your own feed, I will, or we both will. Because the people of Kansas City need this. They need what you're going to say. So, Lindsay, let the people know your Vinny P take. Vinny Pascantino is going to win the batting title in 2023. Uh, last year, 295, 383, 450. 35 walks to 34 strikeouts. I think he's going to do better than that. I think he's going to have a batting average over 300, a on base over 400 and a slugging of over 500. He's going to he is going to contend and win the batting title in 2023. I feel that good about Vinny Pascantino, about his his pit, his plate discipline, his batter's eye and the fact that you're removing the shift from the equation and so it's harder to adjust your defense to take away what he does well. That is my Vinny Pascantino take. Gosh, I really, really hope that this is correct. Like, I, I, I've, I am rooting for this take harder than any take I've ever given. Like, I want this to be true because I need it, Lindsay. I need to cling to that. And he, he, last year he kind of e- evenly split time between first base and DH. Thirty-seven games at first base, thirty-five games at DH. Nick Prado is the better defender, and that's nothing against Vinny P. His offense is perfectly fine. Nick Prado is just a plus defender at first base. Nick Prado is good enough; he could play somewhere else besides just first base. But I absolutely think that if he were the everyday first baseman, you would see him uh, be above average defensively. But either way that bat is not going to slump. Vinny Pascantino is real and he's spectacular. Shifting gears to Nick Prado. What is your opinion on Nick Prado as a general player? Nick Prado needs to be up to start the year. A lot of the depth charts that I've seen early, fan graphs, things like that, have Nick Prado in the minors. I don't necessarily know what else you're going to need him to do. Uh, Nick Prado, to me, is one of those guys that is, uh, he's solid all around. He doesn't have any sort of issues as far as his defense. Obviously, it is plus defense. His offense, I feel like, is very good. He's adjusted well to spin. He's adjusted what a velocity up in the zone. That was an issue earlier in his career. 
I think he's got flexibility. He could play corner outfield for you as well. Obviously, MJ Melendez is there to do that uh, also. And so, depending on what happens with, if there's a health thing with Salvador Perez and MJ Melendez has to go behind the plate, you could see Prado and Pascantino in the field every day. But I like having Prado in that lefty swing. I know his numbers didn't look great last year. He batted under 200 last year. I think what he did in 2021 in Omaha is a better representation of what he is. 259, 367, 634. I think that's a better representation of what of Nick Prado's game than that small sample size he had in Kansas City um, later in the year last year. MJ Melendez is the last prominent like hitter I want to discuss in depth for, for with you right now because we're running a bit long. MJ Melendez just looks so cool. Like he's a cool guy. It's, you know, every interview you see with him and his family, his family seems great. He has that swag that if the Royals ever do get on that big stage, become a winner, I think that fans will instantly gravitate towards him and he will just be this, this guy that has such a bravado about him. With MJ Melendez, he's also very versatile. You mentioned that he's uh, training a lot in the outfield, going to play a lot in the outfield this year. He can catch, he can DH, he can just do almost anything on the baseball field. MJ Melendez's ceiling is what? Ooh. MJ Melendez's ceiling is an all-star alternate. MJ Melendez. Okay, so here's what MJ Melendez has done since he was a prospect. Uh, In 2019, his strikeout rate was over 40%. And he cut that by more than half before he got called up to Kansas City. Um, he's gone from being a dead pull hitter to using the entire field. He can hit opposite field, which is something not a lot of folks do. He's incredibly athletic. Obviously, he can play he, he can play the outfield. Uh, the arm is probably a 70 grade arm. And so, I mean, works behind the plate, works in the outfield as well. Uh, I do worry about the the impact of playing every day on a guy who's not necessarily used to playing every day. A lot of catchers, their bodies start to get used to play two days, take a day off, play a day, take a day, things like that. I do worry about him being overused, but that's not not as big a concern for him as it would be for other catchers because he's kept the conditioning up, he's kept his weight down. He's I want to say he's six one right around 195 to 200 or so. He's not uh, a larger catcher like an Alejandro Kirk of the, of the Blue Jays or something. So uh, I do. I am a little concerned about the playing every day when he hasn't had to do it, but he was in 129 games last year and he wore down a little bit towards the end of the season. So something to keep in mind, but I do think his ceiling is all-star alternate um, and something like William Contreras when he was with Atlanta last year made the all-star game at DH. You know, he caught two or three days a week. The rest of the time, he was either DH or he played a little bit in the outfield. Melendez will play more outfield than Contreras did, but that very much seems to be the model for me. You catch two or three days, you're in the outfield the rest of the time, and you're out there hitting home runs, you're throwing guys out, and just racking up extra bases. Lindsay, on the surface level question here for the hitters, I was put a bow on it and then put you in the hot seat to be the GM of the Royals. Okay. Who is your underrated hitter in this organization. I love irrationally Mike Massey. I think that he's going to be like a plus starter in the bigs. What, what for you is a guy in this system that you think deserves more flowers? Ooh, 
That's a good one. A guy in this system that is underrated, Carter Jensen. So, to me, he just he, he has incredible strike zone discipline, and I don't think he gets enough credit for it. Uh, 2021 third rounder out of high school. So, a catcher, a prep catcher, but I think his, his uh, discipline, very good. Uh, spoiler alert, when I drop my, my breakout list, or sorry, I dropped my, my farm preview on Saturday. He's my choice for breakout prospect is Carter Jensen. I do love the catching depth in the system, but he's the guy. He walked 83 times to 103 strikeouts at age 18. I mean, there's there's big league hitters who never get close to that kind of ratio. So I think he is underrated as far as what he could be. And then Tyler Gentry, offensively, to me, uh, I mean, he, he's batted over 300 just about everywhere he's been. He put up a, a slash line in AA Arkansas, 321, 417, 555. I mean, 300, 400, 500 slash line, that's a dude. Like that is, like Tyler Gentry, Carter Jensen are my two guys that don't get enough credit in this system. I respect both of those picks. Those are very good picks. Now, Lindsay, let's end this crossover with you as the GM of the Kansas City Royals. Congratulations. Thank you. First order of business, though, is you've got to figure out, is this team going to pivot and tear it all down to the studs and start a new rebuild because now you're in charge? You're not going to make the same mistakes. The fan base has to just give you a little bit more time because you're going to build back up this farm system and you're going to get them uh, cooking again where they're going to have success through the farm and, and sustain success. Or... Is this salvageable? Like, do you think that there's enough moves on the in the margins that you can make next offseason and moving forward to make this core be good enough to go back to the postseason? So when I look at this farm system, I kind of separate things into tiers, right? Tier one, tier two, tier three. And like to me, tier one is a guy that is going to contend for like he's going to be an all-star. Tier two is this guy is a, more than likely going to make the bigs and be a solid contributor, and then it goes down from there. Uh, I don't see anybody in this farm system who's a tier one. I don't see anybody who's like, yeah, this dude's going to be an all-star when he gets to the bigs. I just, not there. Now, you graduated some guys who could do that, of any Pascantino, of Bobby Witt, MJ Melendez, um, but there is very good depth in this system. There's a lot more tier two guys and tier three guys than you would expect. I love the catching depth. I mentioned Carter Jensen. Hayden Dunhurst is a guy that I like a lot as a high floor defensive catcher. Um, Freddie Furman, uh, Luca, Luca Tresh. Yeah, Luca Tresh. Um, I like the outfield options. Again, nobody's going to be an all-star, but I think you have a high floor of confidence there. There's a ton of athletes in this system. And there's a ton of arms led by those preppers from 2021. I am giving it one more year. I am making a few moves. I'm I'm moving Hunter Dozier. Best offer I get for Hunter Dozier. I'm probably moving out some bullpen pieces because um, sh- love Scott Barlow. A good closer with multiple years of team control is a luxury right now. And every time I move these guys out, I'm getting pitchers. I'm getting arms. I want as many arms as possible. And then I am revamping the player development. I want, I'm hiring everybody from the private places. I'm hiring guys from driveline. I'm hiring, I'm, I'm hiring all of the high tech uh, names. 
behind like the understand pitch design and biomechanics. I'm putting in a biomechanics lab at our spring training facility. I'm putting one in Kansas City. I'm putting in TrackMan at all the affiliates so I can track all of this stuff. And I'm giving it one more year to see improvements from the pitchers, the 2018 kids and the prepsters from 2021. If I don't see the improvement, then we pivot and we look at, all right, now we got to do something different. But I'm going to give it one more year because I love the depth. I love the athleticism in, the, in here. And there is a lot of arms and there's promising arms. It's just, you got to get them over the hump. And I think so many of these guys are that close to getting over the hump. Ben Kurdna, plus fastball. The gyro slider is really good. He just needs more deception on that changeup to have a third pitch. You know, on Hill Zerpa, like he just needs something that he can get righties out with. He has a changeup that's okay right now, but he four seamer, two seamer slider. You know, Frank Mazzucato needs more velocity on the fastball. He sits 89 to 92. Like there's so many things that you could just make small changes and these guys could take off. And I want one chance to do that. One chance, one shining moment. Lindsay, to get out of here, I'm going to try to bait you into a positive question about the pitching uh, draft of 2018. I think I know your answer because you mentioned Daniel Lynch before, but you have to predict. I'm going to nail you down. One guy that makes the Brady Singer turnaround this year. Is it Lynch or do you have another guy that you're going to surprise us with? Honestly, I think it's Jackson Kowar. I really do. I think with the new pitching uh, player development and their openness to pitch design and some of the outside work, you can fix the fastball. And if you fix Jackson Kowar's fastball, you fix Jackson Kowar. And like, I think he's going to, as soon as he, he has to get up first, that's the issue. You went out and you signed free agent pitchers. But on average, an MLB team has 11 or 12 different guys start a game for them every season. He's going to have an opportunity. And he, there's the runway here for him to take it and run with it. And I think he's that close to breaking out. Lindsay, thank you so much for joining us. Make sure that you make your second list in Locked On Prospects to dive into this Royals farm system tomorrow where he goes even more in-depth on all the nooks and crannies of this Royals farm system. Lindsay, thanks for hopping on. Thanks for your time. I always appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Until next time, be good and be good to one another.